Well, let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word. We're continuing in our study through the book of Acts, and in particular at this time in Paul's life, studying uh, perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived. Back up where we left off briefly from last week at the end of chapter 24, Acts 24, in verse number 20, 26. At the same time, Felix, remember the procrastinator, from last week, the one who would not do what he knew he needed to do, putting off till tomorrow what should be done today, to his great detriment. He hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, what you need to hear there is Paul has been in prison for two years. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. You see Paul? Just been left there, lingering. Verse 2 of chapter 25, the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summoned to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So they want a prison transfer, and while Paul's on the prison transfer, their plan is they're going to ambush him and kill him. I just want you to see the situation Paul's in. But Festus replied, verse 4, that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let him bring charges against him. Do you see it? They can't even definitively say he's done anything wrong and he's been in prison for two years. Would you be frustrated by this point in your life? Verse 6, after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days... He went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. So Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. Translation, I'm being held for no reason. Verse 9, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. It's a political game. Said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, he's no fool. I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am wrong, I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you shall, you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us now to understand what all these things that happened then have to do with us now. But we believe your word is alive, that it's, that it's powerful that it probes where we need to be probed, it corrects where we need to be corrected, it encourages us where we need to be encouraged. And so I pray that you'd use this mighty man of God's faith to fortify our own today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Lingering in prison, right? It's not a day of hardship, it's a season of hardship. Has anybody ever been through a season of hardship? We started our worship service with the observation that most everything in your life that can be shaken will be shaken. Paul is in a season where everything's being shaken, right? Have you ever been there? 
Well, here's a little heads up. If you've not, you will be. Amen? I mean, the Bible will attest to this. In this world, you will have trouble. If you're not in the valley of trouble now, it's coming. Uh, 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 Theologians often that I like to read said we're either headed to trouble, in trouble, or just coming out of trouble. With no guarantee, by the way, that we're not headed right back into it, right? See, the, 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 the peace of, comes to us not in the absence of problems, but with God's power to handle the problems. So Paul's kind of lingering here. I can imagine that it would be stressful. I can imagine on some level it would be frustrating. Now, Paul's much more sanctified than, than I am, but we've, we've been studying through the book of Acts, right? Have we seen people delivered out of prison in the book of Acts? We have, haven't we? Have we seen angels show up in the middle of the night and just cast down the door and people walk out of prison? We've seen it, haven't we? And, and Paul knows about it. Paul himself has been delivered in the past, right? And so here he goes lingering day after day after day. Do you suppose it might be possible that Paul begins to get a little bit frustrated, not knowing what God is doing? Now, here's the, have you ever been there? Situation or scenario? I mean, you love God and you trust God, but you don't quite know what he is up to. There's a lot of time for Paul to kind of sit around and stew and think. And when you have a season in your life of where everything's being shaken, it's very important what you do choose to think about. And I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John and the sixth chapter, because when you come to a season like Paul has, you got to have something to hold on to. And here's a familiar scene. In fact, when we read it, many of you are going to say, man, I know this story. Uh, I've known this story for for a long time. But I want God to perhaps grant us to look upon it with fresh eyes. Because we need something to hold on to when, like Paul, we're in a season. And maybe it's a protracted season. Right? I mean, Paul has been lingering in prison for a number of, of years now. So John chapter 6 and verse number 16, I want us to examine this scene. And uh, we're not told that Paul, while he was lingering in prison, thought about this. But I can well imagine that Paul thought much of Jesus. And so you need something to hold on to about Jesus when a season like that comes to your life. John 6 verse 16. As a matter of fact, I sort of think this is why Holy Spirit had the Apostle John write this and recorded in scriptures. We need to know these things. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now you might know this, but Peter and Andrew and James and John, Capernaum's home. So they're, they're going on a familiar journey and they're doing a familiar thing. They're fishermen, right? And if there's anything that Peter and James and uh, Andrew and John could handle, it, certainly it would be that they can get into a boat and get back to Capernaum, right? It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. It's pretty interesting to me that in the Bible, 365 different times, the Bible says, do not be afraid or fear not or something associated with that phrase. 365 times, which we, of course, would be able to say one for every day, right? Leap year, just read one of the verses twice, I guess. Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. 
So they're in the middle of the sea. It's dark. The wind's coming. Uh, if, if we, we don't have time to go into all the background, but this is the evening after the 5,000 have been fed, right? So Jesus has the feeding of the 5,000. It's been a remarkable day, but it's been a busy day, and it's probably been a long day. And they get in the boat, and they're just, their assumption is we're just going to go to the boat. We're going to get back home. We're going to go back to Capernaum. They're probably already making plans when we get there, and, and uh, we're going to see our family, going to see our parents, and so on and so forth. And then it happened. Something happened that they were not planning on, right? Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing so now they're in the middle of the sea it's dark the wind is contrary the sea of galilee which um if you know anything about that part of the world it's prone to sudden storms that you didn't see coming on the horizon because of the way the sea of galilee is sort of surrounded by hills uh storms come and you uh don't have doppler radar back then so they had no expectation of what was happening they're out there too far to go back and not quite sure that they can make it to where they're going. And then it happens, y'all. We've read it so many times, we're not stunned by it anymore. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were, uh, my translation of the original Greek, scared out of their wits, right? They were scared to death. Now, for a little while, they'd been on the sea, and it had been calm, and they'd been going about their way, and maybe the moon was out, and it was beautiful, and everything was so pleasant. How many of you love to go to the sea, right? I mean, you just count down to the days, we go to Atlantic Beach or Myrtle Beach, or you're just going to be able to go, and there is something, there's something about being on the water or near the water that's just so peaceful, until what? That same peaceful sea can suddenly become a place that you really don't want to be, and that's what's happened with with these men. So, if we just maybe put it in these terms, if in your life right now you are enjoying calm seas, just thank the Lord and enjoy it, right? But also understand that sooner or later you are going to find yourself in a storm. I, I believe this is probably true. On every pew this morning, somewhere there is a deep heartache this morning, maybe except for this front pew because nobody's sitting there but everywhere, everywhere everywhere else we go down the row and it might not be one or two it might be several that you don't have any idea sometimes what someone on your pew is going through right and so what i want to do is just use this familiar scene and give you a, a few real quick real quick principles in fact i'm going to um use an outline that when i was in seminary um I had the great fortune of Adrian Rogers came and preached chapel, and he preached on this text. And when I was studying that this week, I came across those notes, and I didn't really think I could improve much on his, uh, his outline. So I want you to know on the front end, the six principles that are say they come from him, and they're alliterated, so you know they didn't come from me, but they're alliterated. And um, man, as I read over them, I just so blessed and wanted to share them with you. But I do want you to know where they, <laughs> where they came from. So here's principle number one. When we find yourself in a storm, find peace in the midst of it. Number one, recognize that I am governed by his providence. I am governed by his providence. Everybody say providence. I am governed by his providence. You know what one of the most frustrating things about the storm is? When a storm comes on, we are 
uh, our own limitations are made manifest to us. That's why it's frustrating to go in the storm. I mean, again, if there was any scenario that these men should have been able to handle by their background, by the way they were brought up, by their experience, by what they, what, what they knew, it ought to be that they could get themselves across the Sea of Galilee. I mean, this is their stomping ground. But I think one of the reasons God allows this to come into their lives is to reveal to them even what you think you know and even where you think you're gifted and even where you think you can handle it, there are scenarios that you actually can't handle. And friends, can we just agree? That's kind of frustrating, right? I mean, I like to live under the illusion that I can handle anything. And you know what it is? It is an illusion. And it's good of God. It's actually good of God to expose our limitations to us and show the illusion for what it really is. Now, um, let's get some help over here. If you're in John, back up to Matthew's gospel, and Matthew uh, records the very same incident in Matthew chapter 14, but he gives a few details that I think are going to be helpful to us. Uh, I am governed by his providence. The storm, right? The storm took them by surprise. It doesn't take Jesus by surprise. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. just want you to see something real, real clear, but real simple. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. All right, ready for the pop quiz? This one's real easy, softball. How did they get in the boat? Why were they on the Sea of Galilee to begin with? He told them to get in the boat, right? Why are they in the boat? Because that's where he told them to go. They are governed by his providence. So you want a, a glorious truth? His providence includes storms. Our God is over everything. <laughs> I read about a, a, a little illustration this week where a cowboy applied for an insurance policy, right? So uh, the insurance agent asked him, have you ever had any accidents well, no, said the cowboy, though uh, Bronco did kick in two of my ribs last year, and a couple of years ago, a rattlesnake bit my ankle. And so the insurance agent was a bit puzzled and said, wouldn't you call those accidents? No, said the cowboy, they did it on purpose, right? <laughs> it's not an accident. It's not an accident. The storm was not an accident. God actually allowed it on purpose. And uh, friends, this is sort of, I, I call it a... Um, gloriously difficult truth but it is the truth that jesus put those men on the boat it says uh, before him but this is all important immediately he made the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd so you see the whole thing jesus told them to get in the boat jesus also had a plan what's the plan that they're going to go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Principle number one, I am governed by his providence. They were in the boat because Jesus told them to get in the boat. And Jesus said they were going to go to the other side. 
So principle number one, I'm governed by his providence. Number two, I'm growing by his plan. Now, God's plan is not to entertain you, friends. We live in an entertainment-saturated, entertainment-addicted culture. But God is not trying to entertain you. God is sanctifying you. Now, here's a simple question. When have you, in your own life, most grown in Christ-likeness? When have you most grown in Christ-likeness? You know when I bet it was? If you know Jesus and have been walking with Him, I bet it was in a storm. This is a book that I um, haven't read all the way through, but I've really enjoyed all that I've read of it. It's by uh, actually the pastor of First Baptist Church of Durham, and, and Andy Davis. And it's a wonderful book on sanctification, but I just want to read a portion of it, really a list. He has two lists here in his book. Uh, the first list is a thorough list of virtues to which Christians are called, all right? I don't know if I'll read the whole thing because it goes on a little while, but just listen to some of the characteristics that Christians are called to cultivate in their lives, right? Cheerfulness, boldness, alertness, compassion, contentment, courage, determination, devotion, diligence, discipline, faithfulness. We're to be forgiving, we're to be friendly, we're to be generous, gentle, genuine, giving, glad, godly, good, Y'all want to go do the whole list? Gracious, holy, honorable, hopeful, hospitable, humble, joyful, just, kind, long-suffering, loving, meek, and merciful, modest, mournful over our sins, obedient, orderly, patient, peaceful, poor in spirit, praising, prayerful, pure, purposeful, quiet. For you alone, O my soul, wait in silence. We read that, studied that. Our verse this week, didn't we? Serious, sincere, single-minded, sober-minded, steadfast, strong, submissive, sympathetic, temperate, thankful, trusting, truthful, understanding, vigilant, watchful, willing, wise, worshipful, worthy, yielded, and zealous. Now here's a thorough list of traits which Christians are called to reject. In other words, here are the things that ought not to be in our lives. Anger, sinful anger, anxious, complaining, Covetous, deceitful, deceived, disobedient, disorderly, disputing, double-minded, dull, embittered, envying, foolish, greedy, hypocritical, ignorant, immoral, impure, insolent, insubordinate, jealous, lawless, lazy, lukewarm, lustful, mocking, murmuring, pleasure-loving, prideful, quarrelsome, quick-tempered, rebellious, restless, scornful, selfish, self-willed, sensual, shameful, slothful, sorrowful, spiteful, stiff-necked, timid, unbelieving, uncharitable, unclean, unrepentant, unruly, unstable, unthankful, unwilling, vain, vengeful, violent, weary, or willful. Now, question. I don't think he wrote all of those down, but I think you heard enough. To just Here's where we're obviously going to ask the question. How, how and when does the Holy Spirit most cultivate the godly characteristics and remove the ungodly characteristics? And again, I would encourage you the time he does that most is in the storm it's in the storm in god's economy there are what we might call correcting storms like jonah right jonah's not doing what god had asked him to do and so a storm comes in his life to reveal to him you're going in the wrong direction now some of you are in that storm right now because god is calling you to repent and you won't repent and your assumption like jonah is i can move away from god as if there is such a place i cannot do what god asks me to do and requires me to do and and life will be smooth that is 
not possible. That's a correcting storm. But what we're talking about is a little bit different. We're talking about a perfecting storm. A perfecting storm. I'll give you another illustration. There's a young man who had spent his whole life in the city. And he looked everywhere he could in town for a job. But having found no job, he went to work on a farm. And the farmer was a little bit skeptical, but decided he'd give him a try and told him, okay, what you can do here is you can milk the cow. So he gave him a stool and a bucket. An hour later, the young man returned. He was dirty. He was sweaty. He'd obviously been working hard. The bucket in one hand, and he had the stool in the other, but the stool was broken. And so the little smile on his face, he said, I'll tell you what, Mr. Farmer, extracting the milk was easy. The worst part was getting the cow to sit on the stool, right? <laughs> and so we're, I mean, we're kind of like that. We don't know what to do, not with the stool. We don't know what to do with trouble. We just think it doesn't have any place in our life. And, and, and so, so, so we don't know what to do with it. And God is saying, I will use the storm in your life for a purpose. The old poem, you might have heard it. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left, left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from sorrow when she walked with me, right? God's in a storm where you can have peace because we know that I'm governed by his providence, number one. Number two, I'm growing by his plan. Number three, I'm graced by his prayers, now you saw the disciples, right, as they're in the, uh, in, in the boat and the storm comes and the wind was against them. And their question is, where's Jesus, right? Why isn't he here? I mean, I can kind of imagine a little bit in their minds is they knew Jesus had put him on the boat. And now he's not there. And this is what happens in a storm. One of the things that happens in the storm is you begin to conclude that Jesus is nowhere to be found, right? Feels distant. You feel alone. Now here's the question for us. Where was Jesus while they were in the storm? Did you see it? He's somewhere. Verse 23. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to kick back and relax and see if they could handle it on their own. Well, it's not what it says, is it? He went up to the mountain because he was so fed up with them. He went on the mountain because he couldn't believe they didn't have faith that the 5,000 could have been fed earlier in the day. No, it says he went up on the mountain. And he prayed, do not think that Jesus has forsaken you just because you don't see him. Because he sees you, right? Verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves. And in the fourth, um, I'm sorry, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, right? His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Hey, uh, you're in Matthew. Let's just go, uh, go to another gospel, Mark. I want to see the full uh, picture, as it were. Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Just to underscore this point for us. Verse 46, rather, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So what's he doing when they don't know where he is? He's praying. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw them, right? He saw them. They couldn't see him, but he saw, he saw them that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against him. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Amen. He sees through the dark. 
as he's praying. You want a uh, sort of a stunning thought? You are on Jesus' prayer list. You might have somebody come up to you and say, add me to your prayer list. We have a prayer list of the church and we do pray. Now, people will come up to me most every Sunday. Hey, can, can you pray for this? And I, and I make it my aim to humbly pray for the requests that people have. How about this? Jesus prays for you. Hebrews 7, chapter 25, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Wouldn't you be blown away if this morning in the sanctuary, you enter the sanctuary, and as you're sitting on the, pray, uh, on the pew, you saw Jesus right down here praying? That'd be an amazing sight, right? But do you have the faith to see it? He is praying for you, right? He's up, where is he praying? He's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you. As a matter of fact, friends, I got to be honest, I think this whole scene here in John 6 or Matthew 14 or Mark 6 is sort of a microcosm of, 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 of all eternity. There's coming time he's coming down from the mountain, amen? And he's not going to walk on the water, he's going to walk on the clouds and he's going to say, come on with me, right? And it's not going to be long. But until that moment happens, there are going to be some storms. So I am graced by his prayers. Fourth principle, four out of six, is I'm gladdened by his presence. Look back here in John chapter 6, gladdened by his presence, right? Right right when they think it can't get any worse, he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So um, I want you to think about them before Jesus showed up. Can you see? Probably Thomas doubted, don't you think? I mean, I bet Thomas kind of doubted. I don't think we're going to make it, guys. Unless I can see the shore, I don't think we're going to make the shore. And then you got Matthew, he's there. He's probably thinking, man, I'm not a fisherman. I was a tax collector. I should have never got on the boat. Where is the life raft around here? I mean, can I put, can, can, and, and, and there's Judas, and who knows what Judas is thinking. I don't even want to make the effort or, or, or try, try to surmise what he's probably thinking. Man, I should have never gotten with this group. And then you see Peter, man, he's an experienced fisherman. Peter's thinking, man, maybe we can pull this thing together, right? You see their faces. Reminds me of the Tim Keller quote. Worry believes God will not get it right, and bitterness believes God got it wrong. You find yourself in either one of those places today? Worry is believing God didn't get it right. Worry would be like, man, we're never going to get to the other shore. And some people's whole life is consumed with worry. Friends, Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, which means you believe that he's paid the penalty for your sins, you, you believe that he's restored a right relationship between you and God the Father, that Jesus has made intercession for you, you have the assurance that you're going to get to the other side. Amen? You're going to get to the other side. Not without storms, not without waves, not without moments that you might even feel like you're going under, but Jesus is going to assure that you get to the other side. Hear me carefully. Getting to the other side was not up to Peter. It was not up to James. It was not up to John. It was not up to a headwind on their side. They were going to get to the other side because it is I. Do not be afraid. Anybody consumed with worry this morning? You don't think God's going to get it right. Or maybe, other side of the same coin, you're filled up with bitterness. Because you look back. You look back and you believe God got it wrong. Why didn't Jesus come sooner? They've been out there for six hours agonizing hours the fourth watch is between three and six a.m it's the darkest part of the night right it's the it's the time most of us are asleep right most of us are resting but they feel like they've forgotten but remember uh john 6 verse 16 when evening came what had happened earlier in the day 
verse 13. Well, verse 12, I always go one too far. <laughs> when they had eaten their fill, satisfied bellies, don't they? Provided them food out of nothing. Just a few loaves and a few fish. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And they, I surmise, got in the boat with the baskets, right? They're being tossed by and fret, and all along, there is evidence of his faithfulness. But um, the waves talk to them louder than the baskets did. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes when you're in the midst of the storm, you need to remember what he already has done for you. In a dire moment, we tend to forget what he's already done. And friends, if more, than any, more than baskets you've got to take with you into the storm, Calvary itself. God's demonstrated his love for you. And that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So you take with you the knowledge of what he's already done, which is the guarantee of what he will do. Sometimes, probably Adrian Rogers who said, we try to pick God's blessings, blessings before they're ripe. Right? God's not in a hurry. He showed up precisely when he meant to. Look at verse 20, John chapter 6. He said to them, it is I. The will of God, friends, is never going to take you to where the grace of God cannot keep you. Jesus told them to get in the boat. He shows up. Interesting statement. It is I. Literally, it is I am. It's another one of the I am statements, right? It is, it is I. It's the divine name, the name of deity. I am that I am that I am. You think we can't get across the boat? I'm the one who showed up to Moses in the burning bush. You think this sea's going to overcome me? I've been from the beginning. I made the Sea of Galilee. You think Galilee's going to overcome me? I'll just walk on across it, right? The storm's not greater than I am. I am is the proclamation of his eternal presence. Not I was or not I will be when you do make it across. I am that I am. You see, friends, there was never a time that Jesus was not, and there will never be a time that Jesus is not. It's the, amount, it's the announcement of his abundant provision for them. It's the proclamation of his presence. I am is an unfinished sentence. So Jesus allows you to fill in the blank. Are you lost? Jesus is the way. Are you on the wrong side and need to get in? Jesus is the door. Are you hungry? He's the bread of life. You stumbling around in darkness? He's the light of the world. Are you dead in your trespasses and sins? Well, good news, good news. He is the resurrection and the life. I am guarded by his power is the fifth principle. Friends, for them to go down, Jesus is going to have to go down. For you to be overcome, Jesus is going to have to be overcome. And then we'll get one more principle. (laughs) I might not know your problem, but I know your answer. It's Jesus. And sixth principle is I'm guided by his purpose. I'm guided by his purpose. Might put it this way. God's not promised you smooth sailing, but he has promised you a safe landing. (laughs) Time and space are no impediments to his plan. He's overcome the world. They were afraid they were going to go under, right? And then Jesus comes walking out on the water. A marvelous scene, isn't it? Hope you haven't heard it too many times to not feel the power of it. We might put it this way. What they were afraid would be over their heads was already under his feet. You know what I'm saying? They thought, man, we're going down. 
And then here he comes. And he's coming and he's walking on the water. Whatever you think might be over your head, you have the grace to believe it's already under his feet. I'll use an illustration that maybe will help us. <laughs> and, and really, I just want you to know I didn't intend to use this illustration. It just kind of happened this morning. There's a particular basketball game last night, and I'm not going to get into the basketball game. It's not really the, the, the point. But we were watching the game, and um, it starts at 8.15, and so I let my children stay up to watch the first half. And then by the time the first half ends, it's 9.15. I mean, it's time for them to get on in, uh, in bed. So they go to bed, and they sleep overnight. And, and, uh, and I, um, I almost cut it off, but then I ended up watching it to the end because I felt like it was going to go. Anyway, that's why I don't want to talk about this because it's not the main point. First question my son asked me when he got up this morning, did Carolina win? And I said, yeah, they did. What I had done after they went to bed is I had recorded the game, right? And so um, we were up a little bit early this morning, so we got dressed, and, and Abel said, well, can I watch the, the second half? I said, well, sure. So he started watching the game, and then before long, Priscilla came in, and then before long, Mary Claire came in, and they were all watching the game. But I had already told them the result, right? 90 80-something. So I'm watching them, and, um, well, I hadn't had the conversation with Mary Claire because she's watching it, and uh, Grayson Allen got up to the free throw line, and he was about to shoot, and I said, "Uh, watch him miss this free throw. And he missed the free throw, and Mary Claire looked at me and said, did you already see this? And I said, yeah, I've already seen it. I already know the result. And so I kind of watched them watch it, right? And uh, they kind of already knew what was going to happen I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but we still enjoyed it. You know, they just still see, see the, uh, the, the devils went down, right? Um, here's what you can rest assured on, friends. He's seen it. He's seen the end from the beginning. Your father knows the result. Now, we're watching that game, and there were a few times Luke Kennard would make a shot, and, man, you thought, now, I know, I'm not, we're not making, you understand what we're getting at here. We're not trying to esteem one team above the other. I'm just trying to make the point. There are going to be times in your life you thought, man, it's going to go this way. But the Father has seen the conclusion from the beginning, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega. There are going to be some moments like you have. The disciples had these moments. He's told them. We're going to the other side when they rode about three or four miles and they get out there in the strong wind and the rough sea and it's blowing and they begin to look at each other and think, man, we really are going to go under. But he's seen it from the beginning. You're not going under. He's the captain of the ship, friends, right? He's going to take us all the way home. Where were these disciples going? Capernaum. Where were they trying to get to? They were trying to get home, right? So again, friends, soon the Lord, who is on the mountain praying for us, he's going to come stepping down, walk on the clouds, in all his glory. And those of us who are in this world full of trouble will be immediately on that glorious shore. You know what it says? But I want you to read it carefully. Then they were glad to take him in the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I don't want to stretch it too far, but here's the concluding point. Those that have received him are going to get safely to the other side. 
You know what I'm saying? Getting to the other side is directly connected to Jesus. Have you received him? Have you welcomed him into your life? Have you repented? Have you admitted, I am not in charge of this boat, man. If it were up to me, I would go under. Now, Jesus has come not to, you know, he, he, he displays his power and his compassion. Yes, to calm storms. Sometimes he calms storms. Sometimes he just walks in it with you, right? And it's his prerogative. He's in control. He's in charge. I think that's why we've got two similar scenes, but a little bit different. One time, Jesus speaks, and the storm ceases. Sometimes he just walks in and gets you to the other side. But I want you to see that it's about him. Have you received him? Have you submitted to him? Are you one of his disciples? Those are those who are going to get safely to the other side. Hey, I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray together. I know we went through those pretty quickly. So just as we get prepared for the invitation, you might just want to grab hold of one of these truths we see in John 6, that I'm governed by his providence. It's not an accident. I'm governed by his providence. I'm growing by his plan. Amen? I'm gladdened by his presence. I'm I'm guarded by his power, graced by his prayers, guided by his purpose. I want to pray together, and then we're going to have a time of invitation. And we're also going to reserve some time at the conclusion of the service for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's stay right here with your heads bowed. Paul lingering in that prison. Joseph lingering in prison in Genesis. David for years hunted by Saul. So many different times in the scripture we see men and women of God in seasons where everything that can be shaken is being shaken. It might be for you this morning, you readily identify with that. Say, man, that's where I am right now. Might use the invitation just to resolve some things in your heart. If it feels like you can't see him, he can see you. feels like something's coming over your head, Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's under his feet. You might just want to use the invitation time to pray, to praise, to give thanksgiving. Some of you aren't in a season like that. You might want to use this time to to resolve some things ahead of time for when the season does come. Some of you this morning, under the teaching of the scripture, have realized you're not a follower of Jesus. You've not repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the invitation is open. It would be my great privilege to speak to you, to pray with you. I'll stand right here at the front. I know it's not an easy thing to walk down in front of a room full of people. But we believe Jesus is worthy of such. We offer a public invitation for a publicly crucified and resurrected Savior. So, Father, for those that are in seasons of everything being shaken Lord I pray your grace upon them I pray your grace is sufficient through the fourth watch of the night Father for anyone that's here today and they don't know Jesus not submitted to Jesus two things I pray 
for the clarity of the warning that there is no guarantee to get to the other side except for Jesus. I pray that they'd see his wonderful combination of his compassion and his power. It is I. Do not be afraid. Father, lead our prayer time, our invitation time. May it be prayerful, worshipful, full of joy and thanksgiving. Repentance is needed. We look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.